Well, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, you love top 10 lists. I don't know what it is, but I'm a sucker for a top 10 list. If somebody sends me an email, top 10 places to eat in Breckenridge, top 10 ways to make a healthier kale seaweed smoothie, I'm going to read it. It's just the way it is. I love a, a top 10 list. So this week I got sucked into reading the top 10 songs of all time. Now I'm going to share them with you, but here's the challenge. I want to see how many of you could have guessed half of these, okay? Top 10 songs of all time. Here we go. Rolling Stone did a magazine, or Rolling Stone magazine released this list last fall. Top 10 list of all time. Number 10, Outcast. Hey, ya. You guys, you guys know that? Hey, ya. Pete's got it. All right. So number nine, Fleetwood Mac, Dreams. I know, I know some of this is on your, on your rotation for sure. Now, number eight, I don't know that I can say in church. Missy Elliott, can you say that in church? I'm not going to say it. I'm just, you guys can read it right? Number seven, the Beatles, Strawberry Fields Forever. Some of you might have guessed that one, or at least the Beatles were on this list. Number six, Marvin Gaye, what's going on? Now, that's got to be on there, right? That's got to be top 10. But how about top five? According to Rolling Stone magazine, these are the top five songs in the history of the world. Number five, Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Okay, I got that one on there. Bob Dylan, like a Rolling Stone. Sam Cooke, a change is going to come. He was born down by the river. You guys know that one, right? Number two, public enemy, fight the power. I don't know. But number one, Aretha Franklin, respect, right? I mean, that's got to be on there. But where's Stairway to Heaven, Bohemian Rhapsody, and, and Hotel California? Like, seriously, if I could have a, if I could have a talk with the people from Rolling Stone, we'd, we'd have a conversation. But I don't know what it is. I had to click on the link, right? top 10 list. Well, how many of you know God has a top 10 list too? God gives us his top 10, but he's not talking about songs, restaurants, or places to visit. God's giving us the top 10 rules for life and relationships. And we know that as the 10 commandments. You guys are sharp this morning. You guys have had your coffee. God gives his 10 commandments, his 10 rules. And I wonder, moment of honesty, do you know more of the 10 commandments than you knew of the top 10 songs. Question for you guys to consider. So God gives us these 10 rules, these 10 commandments that we're going to see today in Exodus chapter 20. If you've been with us the past couple months, we're working through Exodus. We've seen that God rescues the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, takes them out of Egypt. He's going to take them to the promised land, but he's got a pit stop on the way at Mount Sinai. And on the way, two weeks ago, Pete talked about manna and how God provided in the desert. And last week, Darren led us through this concept of what is the law? And why does God give us the law? And so God calls Moses and the people of Israel to Mount Sinai. Moses walks up the mountain. At the top of the mountain, God gives him the Ten Commandments. Now, it's interesting, though. The Ten Commandments are actually never referred to in the Bible as the Ten Commandments. It's referred to in multiple places as the Decalogue, which is translated as the Ten Words. So these are the ten words that God has for his people. And God is building a new people. He has rescued his people, and they're going to be this new community. And God gives them these rules, these ten commandments, to help guide them and lead them into a place that's going to let them flourish and live life the way it was meant to be. But I think if we're honest, and we think about commandments and we think about rules, there's something that we just don't like. I mean, Anybody here just love rules? You know, I mean, just you see a rule and you just like heart is full, right? You're like, ah, somebody's gonna tell me what to do. I just love that. Now, I think as people, like we we press against that, don't we? Like we press against this idea of rules. We think that rules restrict us, or that rules constrict us. Like I, I think of like when I was in elementary school. 
Now, as you can imagine, in elementary school, I was a really quiet child. I always sat quietly in my chair and, you know, didn't fiddle. No, that wasn't me at all. I was the guy in elementary school, well, actually still today, that would get in trouble for talking and would get put in the corner with the girl that never talks. And by the end of the day, we'd exchange numbers and we're talking until like 10 o'clock at night. Like, that was usually where I was at. And so what I hated about school was that you had to walk in a single file line quietly down the hallway you had to keep your hands to yourself. You couldn't pull things off the wall. You know, it just, it made no sense to me. It restricted my freedoms, man. Anybody else been there? I think we think of rules that way. And, and over time, people turn to Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, and we see the Ten Commandments, and we think, here's just God being a killjoy. Here's God giving us these rules that are going to constrict us, that are going to keep us from living out and being free. But here's the challenge I want to leave you with today. I want you to begin to see the Ten Commandments differently. Because if you look at the Ten Commandments as something that restricts you, then you're going to miss what they're all about. And you're going to miss the heart behind why God gives us the Ten Commandments. See, God wants to teach us something through the Ten Commandments about relationships. See, what God wants to show us is this, that God's rules are guardrails for relationships. That God's rules don't constrict relationships. God's rules don't restrict relationships. God's rules don't create relationships. God's rules are guardrails for relationships. Because God has created us to be his people and to live in such a way with him and with other people. And he gives us the rules to teach us how to do that. This last week, Courtney and the girls and I went out to a family wedding in Cape Cod. It was beautiful. It was 75 degrees. It was lush green. I mean, it was great. And we had never been to New England, so we got to tour around and go to Maine and hang out in New Hampshire and eat pure maple syrup. I mean, it's different. Right? I mean, I'm telling you, this is good stuff. So anyways, we're on, the, we're on the highway driving to Cape Cod, and we cross this bridge. It's the Bourne Bridge, and it's on the way from inland Massachusetts to Cape Cod. And it's an amazing bridge, and several hundred feet over the Cape Cod Canal. And as we drove across this bridge, the Courtney goes, notice the guardrails. I mean, normally on a bridge, you've got some guardrails. It's like a nice little thin piece of metal that's going to keep you from careening off the side of the cliff. But here, there was about five feet of concrete. And then about every, every foot or so, there was a steel pole. And it was to say that there was no way a car is going to drive off this bridge. Like, it could be the worst accident ever, and it's not going to go over the edge. I think God gives us his rules to be the same things in our life, to be these guardrails that if we can see them correctly and we can understand them correctly, they're going to guide us as we navigate our relationships with one another and also in our relationships with God and our faith. And so today I want to think about this idea that, that rules don't restrict relationships. Rules don't create relationships. In fact, what they do is they guide relationships. Here next month, Courtney and I, we're going to celebrate our 13th wedding anniversary. 13 years of me saying, yes, dear, you were right again. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 13 amazing years. It's been great. But, you know, one, one of the things I learned in getting married, and if you're married, you know this, that there are certain rules that come with being married. And there's certain rules that we understand and we expected, and there's certain rules that we maybe didn't expect. Like one, rules that, one rule that I expected when getting married was that I would no longer be able to date other women. Like it's a pretty, pretty standard rule, right? Get married, you no longer date other women. And if you're here today or tuning online as a guy and you're like, ah, that's why I went wrong. Missed that one. Then you know you're in trouble, right? Because that's like a standard, we get that. That's a standard rule. But there was a lot of other rules that came when I got married that I didn't understand. Like... When you're married, every light in the house has to be on all the time. <laughs> Starting at 6 in the morning to 10 p.m., every light has to be on. 
It doesn't matter what light it is. It could be the pantry light. It needs to be on inside the garage. It needs to be on. So I learned that rule, and so one of my jobs now is at 10 o'clock at night, I go around the house and spend about 45 minutes turning off lights. Another thing I learned being married is that every window needs a curtain and a different size curtain rod. Guys, did you know this? This is ridiculous. Why don't they just make a standard size window? No, you've got to go to Home Depot for like an hour and look for curtain rods. And they have to have different curtains too, different lengths. This is crazy. Also, there are different kinds of pillows. Guys, did you know this ahead of time? There's throw pillows and sham pillows and decorative pillows, and you actually can't throw the throw pillows. I learned that. Like, that doesn't make any sense either. So there's all these rules we have to learn, right? Now, imagine I'm not married, and I decide that I'm going to stop dating other people. I'm going to go to Home Depot and buy a bunch of curtain rods, and then I'm going to go to Home Goods and buy up all of their pillow section. And my house looks great, and all the lights are on, and you can see everything. Would I have a marriage relationship? I wouldn't be married. I would just have a lot of pillows and a high electricity bill, right? (laughs) See, rules don't create relationships. Rules can't create relationships. What they can do, though, is they can guide relationships. And I think this is a frame for us. This is a lens for us to see the Ten Commandments. Because I think if we begin to look at the Ten Commandments this way, we're going to see that what God is trying to do is to guide our relationships with him and to guide our relationships with one another. So let's look at these Ten Commandments. We'll blow through them really quickly, and then we're not going to be able to really dive into all of them today, um, but what we'll do is really pull out some nuggets that we can see in these Ten Commandments. So if you have your Bibles, let's go Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. These are the classic Ten Words of God. Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Commandment one, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment two, you shall, make, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the th- to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Just showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, number three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Number four, remember, or commandment four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your servant, your daughter, or your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right, verse four. Number five, commandment number five, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord God is giving you. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Commandment number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Allah. You shall not lie. And number 10, rounding it out, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Forefront, these are the 10 commandments and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The big 10. Here's the 10. God gives these 10 to Israel, and he says, learn these because these are going to help guide your relationships. 3,500 years ago, God gave these 10 rules to live by. Now, it's interesting. If you look at modern society, if you look at the Western world, these 10 commandments have helped shape our ethics, 
These Ten Commandments have helped shape our morality. Many scholars, biblical and secular, will say that the Ten Commandments, more than almost anything else, have shaped Western morality and ethics. And so we look back at these things 3,500 years ago and see that God has given us these guardrails. And while we can't spend time walking through each of the ten, here's what we can do. We can pull out some nuggets. There's a few things, I think, big picture items that the Ten Commandments teach us. And the first one is this. The Ten Commandments help us prioritize what is important. If you've ever asked the question, like, what is important? What, what do I need to focus my life on? And where do I need to put my energy? Well, the Ten Commandments give us the guardrails for that. They help us to prioritize what's important. One day in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus and his disciples are out, and they're engaging the Pharisees and the lawyers and the crowds. And they're asking Jesus all these different questions, and they're trying to trap Jesus. And, and so they ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Now, Darren last week told us there's 613 commandments. There's 613, I should say, laws in, in, uh, in the Jewish faith. So Jesus, which is the most important out of the 613? And Jesus says this. He says, let me wrap all of these up for you in two. And this is what we know as the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, verse 37, 39. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus sums up 613 laws. He sums up the Ten Commandments in two. And what he's showing us is how do we prioritize what God teaches us? How do we prioritize God's rule? And so Jesus sums it up and he says this. First, love God with everything you've got. And second, love people as you love yourself. And this is what we see in the Ten Commandments. This is what we're going to see today as we unpack these a little bit. God gives us this order to prioritize our life. But I want you to see something. I don't want you to miss the order. The order of the Ten Commandments is really important. And you guys, many of you have heard this before, but I think it's good review. The order matters. God gives us this order for a reason. Notice, God doesn't start where we would start. If I said, take this list, go home and rewrite it in the order you think is most applicable to life today, what would you put first? Don't murder. Probably, right? Some of you might put something else first, but I mean, you probably would say, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents. I mean, there's probably some kind of an order we would put them in, but notice what God does first. God doesn't start there. God starts by showing us priority because God knows we have the tendency to get things out of order. I've shared with you before, but Augustine, who's a fourth century church leader, he talks about our disordered loves. And he said, the reason that you and I struggle so much with contentment in our life is because our love gets out of order. We begin to love things in the wrong order. It's not that the things you love aren't good things. It's not that the things you love aren't appropriate things. It's that they're in the wrong order. The Ten Commandments help us to put things back in the right order. They help us to put our love... And, and interestingly, God told us this 3,500 years ago, right? This isn't something we're just finally figuring out. God told us this 3,500 years ago. So God shows us in the top ten what's most important. The first four are our relationship with God. And the second six are our relationship with other people. And it shows us what we need to focus on first. So I think the idea here is if you don't do the first four, you can't do the last six. And we'll unpack that a little bit here later. But before we jump in, I want you to notice something. Look back at verse 2. Notice this. God is telling Moses these Ten Commandments. He's getting ready to, to inscribe these on stone for Moses to take down and to teach the people of Israel. Here are the rules for life. Here are your guardrails. And notice what he says first. And, the God, and it says this in verse 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words saying, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's what God starts before he even gets to the first commandment. He says, don't forget what I did. Don't forget that I'm the one that brought you out of slavery. Don't forget the Red Sea. Don't forget the plagues. Don't forget the manna. Don't forget all that. Why, why is that important? Because God is showing us that he is calling us to action after he has already demonstrated his love and grace and mercy for us. God doesn't say to, to the Israelites, well, hey, here's your Ten Commandments. Get these right, and then I'll rescue you. Like God never, he doesn't go to him in Egypt and say, okay, here's the Ten Commandments. Once you can checklist these all off and everything's right, then I'll take you to the Red Sea and I'll deliver you from slavery. He goes, no, I'm going to deliver you first, and then I'm going to ask you to follow I'm going to prove to you that my love, and you can trust me, that my love is, is pure and you can trust me. So he says, look, I led you out of slavery first. As my friend Craig Smith says, he says that God's commandment to us comes before his commandment for us. And so this, this God is, is communicating to us that he is, he is committed to us well before he ever asks us to do anything or asks us to follow any types of rules. Let me explain why this is so important. If you don't take anything away from today, don't miss this. God gives us this order for a reason and, and tells us, remember what I did for you first. Because God knows our tendency to fall into the good day, bad day pattern. Jerry Bridges talks about this in his book, Disciplines of Grace. He talks about the fact that we can fall into a good day, bad day pattern. And so a good day is, hey, God, I got up, I read my Bible, I, I helped the person across the street, I did a good deed. God, I feel like you love me because I did good deeds today. But then we fall into this other side of the coin, which is the bad day. And we wake up, and maybe we didn't have a very good day. Maybe a situation had at work, and we, and we ended up lying to get out of getting in trouble. Or we said something hurtful. Or we fell into envy and jealousy and coveting. What do we do? We turn around and go, God, I don't feel like you love me very much. God, I don't feel like I'm worthy of your love. I don't feel like I'm worthy of being your son or your daughter. We fall into this good day, bad day pattern, and as we fall into this pattern, it ends up directing our days. But So I think God wants us to see that his commitment comes to us well before his commandments. He's wanting us to see that I love you. I came and rescued you first. And so all of your following me, all of your keeping these rules, even these commandments, you do because of what I did for you first. You're in no way trying to earn my favor. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. He says this. He says that God demonstrated his love for us. When? We were still sinners. God didn't demonstrate his love for us by sending Jesus after we had gotten cleaned up or after we had gotten rid of the mess or after we became lovely. God demonstrated his love for us first. Jesus came and gave his life on the cross for us. And when he rose from the grave, defeated death, he began a new relationship with us. And then he says, here's the rules for life. Here's the guardrails for your relationships with me and with other people. And I, and I think there's power here, guys. Because when you begin to understand this, it frees you. Because you, you don't, no longer need to try to prove you matter. You no longer need to try to earn God's favor. You no longer need to try to prove your value to other people. You can actually be free to live and finally focus on the main things first. And what's the main thing? Putting God first. This is, what, this is what the Ten Commandments are, are going to tell us in structure. And so if we start with God, everything else falls into place. So notice, the Ten Commandments teach us how to make God first. 
The Ten Commandments, the first four commandments, what they're doing is they're teaching us how to make God first in our life, how to establish the right priority. Notice this. Look back at the first two commandments. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol. No gods before me and don't make an idol. Those are the first two commands. And I think for us, 21st century Western mindsets, we look at this and we go, easy. That's done. Done. Yeah, no, no problem. And we look back and we say, okay, I, I get it. Like Israel and all these pagan cultures, like going into the promised land, like, this was what they did. Their understanding of God was pagan gods and little carved images that they worshipped and bowed down to. But this is 21st century. Like we're beyond that, right? We're so much more enlightened. We're so much more educated. We don't fall into that trap. And God says, don't think, are you sure? Are you sure? Don't think that you're beyond this because, yes, you and I, we talked about this when we were talking about the plagues. You and I, we don't fall down and worship carved images. At least I hope we don't, right? We don't bow down to pagan gods like they did. But you know what we do is we promote other things up to the level of God without realizing it. Like, I think we take a lot of really good things that, that can be good things, and we end up promoting them up to the status of gods in our lives. So we take things like money and career and sex and success, politics, fame, things, houses, cars, all these things, and we end up elevating them and promoting them in our hearts to the status of God. You may not even realize you do it. But it's still something that we all deal with. And you might say, well, I'm not putting these things into the place of God. And you might not be praying to them, but are you serving them? Are you putting energy towards them? Or do they captivate your mind? Are these things that you're worshiping? I think there's a reality here is you worship what you serve. Remember, God told Moses to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And what did he say? Let my people go so they can go hang out on the beach and just go fishing and relax and hikes. No, let my people go so that they may what? Worship and serve me. So you are worshiping what you serve. The two go hand in hand. So you worship what you give yourself over to. You worship what you prioritize. And so if you prioritize your career or your experiences or the things that you have in your life, you're elevating them and promoting them to a place of God. Classic story, Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler. Some of you know it. Mark chapter 10, there's a young man that has a lot of things. And he runs up to Jesus and says, teacher, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And if you know the story, what does Jesus say to him? Jesus recites the Ten Commandments, doesn't he? But he starts with the, next, with the last six. And he says, well, you know what the commandments say. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. Honor your parents. And the man's like, I've done all of these things, Jesus. And Jesus is getting back to the priority. Jesus is getting back to what's first. So what does Jesus say next? Notice what he says. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I just love the compassion of Jesus. Jesus isn't trying to big league this guy. He loves this guy. So he looks at him. He loves him. He's got compassion for him. And he says to him, you only lack one thing, which is the first four commandments, by the way. <laughs> you only lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And what happens to that man? Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus isn't saying it's not okay to have stuff. Jesus isn't saying it's not okay to be rich. Jesus is saying it's not okay to put any of those things in the place of God. And this guy did that. So I think the Ten Commandments help us, help us see what are we putting first? What are we prioritizing in our life? So ask yourself that question. 
What are you putting first? What have you promoted? Well, how do you know? Well, what do you spend your time on? Where do you spend your money? What are you thinking about? Do a diagnostic test. That's how you know. So God tells us in these first commandments, don't put anything ahead of me. But notice the third commandment. Look here. Third commandment, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold, or for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You ever wondered, what does it really mean to take the Lord's name in vain? And why is this where it is in the lineup? Why is this third? When my kids were little, we began to teach them not to say, oh my God. Some of you parents have done that same thing too, right? Like, we want to respect God's name, so don't say, oh, oh my God. So what do they say instead? OMG, right? Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Like, is it okay to say any of these things? Is God talking about cussing? Is that what he's saying when it comes to taking his name in vain? See, here's what I think God wants us to see. This third commandment, it, what it's all about is honoring God with your words and taking God's name and using it in reverence. Like, the reason saying, oh, you know, OMG isn't good is because we're just discrediting the name of God. You ever notice how many cuss words have God's name in them? Like, how many, how many sayings have the name of Jesus in them? Like, there's a reason for that. And God wants us to honor him with our words. And so be mindful of when we use God's name and using it with reverence and respect it's important enough for God to put in the commandments because it keeps our focus on keeping him as a priority and not letting him become just something else. What about the fourth commandment? Keep the Sabbath and make it holy. If you guys were with us in our Genesis series, we, our beginning series in Genesis, we spent a week on this. I, I challenge you to go back and listen to it if you missed it because there's so much more that we can unpack today. But what God wants to teach us is that we, one of the ways we keep God first in our lives is we take a day out of our week. We actually take one-seventh of our week and we give that time back to God to rest and worship and trust. Now, this was different in an agrarian and rancher society. Imagine Israel. If they don't tend to their cattle, what's going to happen? They might drift off. They might get eaten by a wolf. They might starve. If you're not watching your crops, what could happen? You know, I mean, you could Peter Rabbit might sneak in your garden, right? And so you had to trust God with that day. You had to trust God with that 24-hour period of time. Now, for you and me, it's a little bit different, but God is still challenging us. Give, take one day and put me first, because when you make that one day a priority, you set things into the right order. Notice those first four commandments. God is giving these to us as a guide to our relationship with him. First, put him first by making sure that we're not putting anything above him. We're focusing on treating him with respect with our words, we're taking one of our days a week to help recalibrate our hearts towards him. And that helps us to put God first in our lives. So what steps do you need to take to reorder your loves? What have you elevated to the place of God? So, so God is teaching us here that, that the Ten Commandments show us how to take our minds and how to put God first. But notice this also. The Ten Commandments also teach us how to shift our focus beyond ourselves. The last six commandments are given as a guardrail for relationships with one another in our community. And so God shows us how to elevate other people, how to take our focus off of ourselves and to put them on other people. You guys will hear me talk about C.S. Lewis. I got a man crush on C.S. Lewis. He's just amazing. And in the book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about this law of morality. Like we have the law of nature on our hearts where God has put inside each of us a law that tells us what is right and what is wrong. 
And C.S. Lewis says this. He says that, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot get rid of it. Now, culture hasn't done a very good job over the history of time. But there's still something inside of us. God says that we have God's invisible attributes on our heart. King, King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3 that eternity is written on our hearts. And so there's this, this concept, this idea that God has ingrained in each of us this moral code, this right, this law of nature of right and wrong. But here's the question. We look at the Ten Commandments and we see the last six. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents, don't covet, right? And we think, well, those are no-brainers. And of course, if, if you want to have a good community, you want to have good relationships, well, of course you need to do those things, right? Well, then why are we so bad at it? You ever wonder that question? Like, if everybody, if everybody agrees that we shouldn't treat each other those ways, then why is our culture such a mess? Why is community such a mess? Why, why do we have shootings? Right? Why do we have wars? Why do we have so many divorces? Like, if, if this is what's important, if this is what God has put in our heart, then why is it such a mess? And I think part of it is that we have, people have hard hearts that are, have not been changed by God. I think part of it is people have the wrong priorities. But I think under the surface, there's something deep going on here. And it's this idea that, that we naturally put ourselves first in everything we do. Like, remember the, the, the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Do we have a hard time loving ourselves? Some of you do. But most of us, we're pretty good at loving ourselves. That's the qualifier. Like, the qualifier is love other people like you love you. Treat other people the way you want them to treat you. The problem is, though, we put ourselves first, which means that it's all about what I can get and what I want. And what that means is when I focus on myself first, you get the scraps. God gets the scraps. And let's be honest, there's not much left. So God wants us to see the guardrail to having a life of fulfillment and deepness and richness, the life that God leads us to, to want to live, a life of joy, comes from putting things in the right order and putting other people higher than we view ourselves. There's a truth here that God wants us to see. God wants us to see that elevating others helps eliminate self-centeredness. Like, if you want to know, well, well, maybe you struggle with this. You go, why am I always thinking about myself first? Why do I always struggle with this? Well, it's natural because we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. How do you fix that? You elevate others. You force yourself to elevate other people, and it helps to eliminate self-centeredness. You're never going to get rid of it. It's going to be a daily battle, a daily grind. That's not the best news, but that's the reality. But it helps to eliminate self-centeredness. Notice this. Notice this, the last six commandments that God gives us to gut, offer guide rails to how we work with each other. Notice this. Notice number five. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Okay, again, if we were going to create an order, what would we put first? Don't murder. Why does he put honor your parents first? Any idea? There's a lot of theories on this. But the Bible has a lot to say about honor. Honor your leaders, honor your elders. But the foundation is set right here with honor your parents. And I think what God wants to teach us is you cannot do the last five if you don't get this one right. I want you to ask yourself, who do you know in your life that is just the nicest person, that is just the most truthful, honest, hardworking person, but they just hate their parents, right? Like, man, like, I get it. Relationships are hard. 
You and your mom and dad, you might have some, you might have some tough history, but you can still honor your parents. And God is trying to teach us something. He's trying to show us that the way we treat other people flows from honor and respect that we have from our moms and our dads. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But that's why he starts here. Honor your mother and your father, and you'll learn to be able to honor other people. Guardrails for your relationships. So notice the rest of them. Number, notice the rest. Number six, um, it's do not murder. Number seven, staying true to your spouse. Number eight, not stealing. Number nine, not lying. Number 10, not wanting what someone else has. Did you see how these fold in together, right? You, you, yeah, these, are things, these things are good for community, right? These are things we need. But where do we get there? How do we get there? It starts in our hearts. Because if a heart is all about me and what I can get and what I want, if my heart is all about putting myself first, then I'm going to undercut you and I'm going to tell a lie when it benefits me and I'm going to kill you in the court of public opinion and I'm going to be jealous of what you have and do everything I can to get it. But when I can learn to elevate you to a place and put myself second, I can shift my perspective and that's the guardrail for life. God is teaching us. It comes to seeing how we would want others to treat us that we can recalibrate our own actions. So here's the hard question you have to ask yourself. When you get ready to do something, when you get ready to make that business deal or have that conversation, or you get ready to explode on someone for what they did to you, do you ask the question, how would I feel if they treated me that same way? Like that conversation you had at work last week. Did you think before you went in to talk to that coworker and unload on them, that conversation you had at home with your spouse, did you think, how would I feel if they talked to me that way? See, there's a filter that Jesus wants us to begin to push everything through. If we're going to love others as ourselves, that's the qualifier. Then are we considering how others feel when we do say and act out the things we want to do say and act? I think the bigger question is, in your life, who are you trying to make great? You or Jesus? Because when we get these out of order, it's all about me. But when I get these in the right order, it's putting Jesus first. There was one day that Jesus and his disciples were out. James and John, two of his best friends, they actually have their, his, their mom, James and John's mom, come talk to Jesus. If you guys know the story, they come and they talk to Jesus, and James and John's mother, she asks Jesus, hey, Jesus, when you become king someday, will you let James and John sit by your side, one on your right, one on your left? And I'm sure Jesus chuckled. You don't even know what you're asking. Like, you guys don't even get it yet. But then Jesus says something so profound. And I think something that's, just, that's so real for you and me. Matthew chapter 20. Notice what he says. Jesus says, I know what you're asking. But here, here, here's the reality. Whoever wants to be first, to get there, you have to be last. Whoever wants to be a leader, you have to be a servant first. Like the, the profound concept is, is the idea, the path to greatness is putting others before yourself. Like that's the path to greatness because that's the place that will only lead you to the ultimate place of joy, peace, and happiness is by elevating others to eliminate your self-centeredness. So as we, as we kind of round the corner here and think about these 10 commandments, these, these, these guardrails for relationships, I want us to ask the question, where in our lives do we need to start making God our priority? Like where we, have we elevated something else? Where have we put ourselves in front of other people? Where have we put what we wanted in front of God? Like, what do we need to do to change the priorities in our life to make God our number one priority? 
Some of you guys have seen this before. But since it's baseball season, I, I thought I would, I would do it. You guys remember the old shells and rocks in the sand? Well, in honor of baseball and softball season, we're going to do softballs and baseballs in the dirt. But I saw this a long time ago when I was a kid, and I think many of you have seen this too. It's the idea of what we fill up our tank with. If we get them in the wrong order, things aren't going to fit. And so think about the things that we have in our lives. Take the, take the, the softball. Say, this is God. Like, God should occupy the most space in our lives. And if we put God first, everything else can build on it. But we've got things like God in our lives. We've got things like our, our marriage or our friendships. We've got things like our careers. We've got things like our hobbies. We've got other things like sports, music, going out to eat, whatever it is. Fill, fill it up. Fill, fill up whatever, whatever those things that you love to do are. But what often happens is we take these little things, and then we have life. We just have the ups and downs, the, 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 the normal parts of life. And what happens to most of us is we take the, the stuff of life, and that takes our attention. The stuff of life becomes our focus. And so we end up filling up our tank with just the stuff of life. This might be loud. The dust and the dust of life. But we take that, and then we start to put in all the other things. Well, we like to go out to eat. We like to go to the movies. We like to go skiing and hiking and biking. And then we got to focus on our careers. And then we got to spend time with our spouses. And then we got to still do all the other things at home. And then comes God. Okay, God, I'm going to put you in there. And then we try to put the lid on it. And then fit. What happens? Well, sorry, God, I ran out of time. I can kind of get it to fit. But I think what the Ten Commandments are teaching us, God wants us to reprioritize our lives. What would happen if we changed the order of how we filled our life? What would happen if all of a sudden we began to put God first? Dust cloud. What would happen if we took God and he became our priority and he became our foundation? And then on God, we put, we built our marriage. And then on God, we built our careers. And then on God, we built, focused our hobbies. And then we filled in all the other things around the foundation of God in our life. And then we took all the stuff and that went right over top. Well, would it all fit then? I think it would. The idea, guys, is what are we putting first? What are we building our life on? The only way to get it all to fit is by putting God as the foundation, priority in our lives. And that's what the Ten Commandments is all about. Teaching us, teaching us to prioritize what's most important. So I want to just wrap up with some next steps just to leave you guys with some ideas here. What do you need to do to make God your priority? So maybe for some of you, you need to demote something. 
You've promoted too many things in your life, maybe, and they're good things. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your house. Those are good things, but you've promoted them beyond where they should be. They're things to be enjoyed, but those aren't the ultimate things. So maybe for you, you need to demote something. Maybe for somebody else, what you need to do is you need to change what you do with your time. You need to shift how you spend your time, and you need to, to figure out how do you end up putting God first in the way you spend your time. Maybe that's a morning quiet time with God. Maybe that's spending more time in prayer. Maybe that's getting out in the mountains and taking your Bible with you and just getting in the word. Where do you need to shift your time? But what else? How about this? Maybe you need to start serving. If you're not pouring yourself out and giving your time over to God, then again, it's going to all be about you. We need to put God first. We do that. One of the ways we do that is by serving, by putting our effort into God's church. How about this? Where, where, where do you need to begin to invest in other people? Like, where are you investing in other people? If you're not in a life group or you're not serving on a team with other people, you're not spending time with other Christians, how are you building in other people to see, to elevate them so you can demote yourself? See, for some of us, we might need to say yes to Jesus. Maybe this is the first time. And for the very first time, you need to say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I need you to come and teach me what it looks like to live this life. Maybe for some of you, you've said yes to Jesus a long time ago, but then you kind of got out of rhythm and you started putting other things in the way. And could God be saying today, it's time to recommit your life to me and to make me first? And as we do, as we begin to reprioritize, God's going to show us that everything falls in its place. It falls right where it should be because we're trusting the one who made it all challenge you to take a next step this week. Figure out how do you demote what needs to be demoted? How do you promote God to be first? And as you do, you're going to see that God has joy and a richness and a deepness that he has experienced us to live. The only way we'll ever experience that is by putting him first as our priority. So let's be a church that's known for making Jesus number one and letting the whole world see. Would you pray with me?